All right, we got it working there. Matthew chapter number 7 and uh, verse number 1. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 1. The Bible says, this is the, the most favorite verse for an unsaved person who thinks they're saved to quote. Judge not that ye be not judged. And uh, actually, they quote it, Judge not lest ye be judged. But the Bible says here in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter 7, if you remember, we've been going through the book of Matthew, but specifically, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we spent three weeks in Matthew 5, three weeks in Matthew 6, and we're going to spend at least two weeks in Matthew 7, maybe three, depending on how far we get through the passage, but I want you to see a few things in regards to this. Jesus is teaching some very practical lessons for life, and he's teaching some lessons that we can apply to our lives, and the first thing he deals with is uh, Jesus teaches on the subject of being prudent, the subject of being prudent, and prudent, what the word prudent means, and the reason I use that word is because the word prudent means having or showing careful and good judgment, having or showing careful and good judgment, that's what prudence means, and Jesus is going to teach on the subject of being prudent, and he says, judge not that you be not judged, now most liberals and most, you know, whatever, like to quote that phrase, and, and, and you know, I, if I've... You, you come to a church like Verity Baptist Church and I get start preaching about sin and start preaching the Bible and people will make statements like, you know, you're judging and you're a judgmental preacher and you, you know, oftentimes people say to me, judge not that you be not judged, you know. And I, I, I heard a preacher say this, he said, whenever somebody says to you, judge not that you be not judged, you should say to them, don't judge me. Because that's what they're doing. By, ju- you know, by telling you not to judge, they're judging you, you know. And uh, the Bible says they're judged not that you be not judged, but you got to understand this. You cannot take one verse and pull it out of context and then make a whole doctrine out of it. Okay, You've got to allow the Bible to be within the context of Scripture. Now, I'm going to explain to you what Jesus is teaching in this subject here about judge not that you be not judged. But you need to understand this right off the bat, and I'm going to prove it to you. Okay, Actually, keep your finger there in Matthew 7. Go to John chapter number 7. You're there in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter number 7. Keep your finger in Matthew 7. John chapter 7. You need to understand this. This verse is not, okay? This verse is not teaching that we should not judge. The liberals today will say, don't ever judge anyone for any reason. Don't ever look at someone and say they're doing something wrong. We're not supposed to judge anybody. We're supposed to just get along. Just overlook sin. Just overlook, you know, unrighteousness. It doesn't matter. Just everything's okay. That's what the liberals say. And they'll use this verse. Now, this verse is not teaching. That and I'll prove to you why it's not teaching that. Are you there in John chapter number 7? Look at verse 24. John 7, 24. The Bible says, judge not according to the appearance. But, so he says, don't judge according to what something just looks like. He says, but judge righteous judgment. Do you see that? Okay, so Jesus Christ just said there, don't judge according to appearance, but He says, here's how I want you to judge. I want you to judge righteous judgment. He says, I want you to judge righteously. So Jesus in John 7 is teaching, judge righteously. Now, if he, in John 7 He's saying, judge righteously, and in Matthew 7 He's saying, judge not at all, then we have a contradiction in Scripture. Is that correct? But if you study Matthew 7, you'll realize that's not what He's saying. He's not saying, don't ever judge anyone for any reason. 
Because the Bible commands us in multiple locations to oftentimes judge people. Now understand this. I'm not saying you are to go around and tell everybody where the, you know every area they're wrong and in line. Okay? But there are times when we are to judge, and even Jesus said, judge not according to the appearance. He said, I don't want you to judge according to the appearance, but when you do judge, I want you to judge righteous judgment. I mean, do you see that? Matthew 7, 24. Did Jesus not tell us to judge righteous judgment? Okay, so the Bible teaches us to judge. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God commands us to judge righteously. And in matters between Christianity, between Christians within the church, we should judge within the church. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Look at verse 1. So there are verses that teach us, God says, I want you to judge. Okay? So judge not that you be not judges, not telling us to never judge anybody. And we'll talk about what it is talking about in a second. But I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Verse 1 says, Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust, and not before the saints? Now here's what Paul is saying. A Christian should never take another Christian to court. You should never take another believer to the law, to a judge, to sue someone. You know, you should never sue anybody that's a Christian. That's a biblical principle. I mean, look at verse 1 again. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to the law before the unjust and not before the saints? He says, look, why are you going to go before the unjust to get judgment? You understand that? He said, why would I go before an unjust judge to get them to give me a judgment within Christianity? Now look at verse 2. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? Don't you know that there's something called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ? And those who are found faithful, those who did the work of the ministry, those that worked while they worked in in their lifetime, God is going to give them crowns and God is going to give them uh, authority and God is going to allow them to judge other believers and angels. He says, look, the, the, the saints shall judge the world. Now notice, notice what he's saying. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? Verse 2. And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now he's saying, are you not worthy to judge? What is he saying? He said, you should judge. Verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels? Hey, we're going to judge angels. And if we're going to judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? So he's saying, look, when it comes to this life, Christians, and specifically here within the church, the church ought to be in the process of judging between Christians. If there's a dispute within uh, believers in the church, we should judge that. Don't take that to the courthouse. Don't take that to an unjust, unbelieving judge. Verse 4. If then ye have the judgment of things pertaining to this life, look what he says. Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the churches. I speak to your shame. Now he's rebuking them. He's saying, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? Here's what, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, is there not one wise person in your church that, can, that knows enough Bible, that knows enough scripture, that knows enough of the word of God, that can render a judgment between believers, between brethren? He said, you don't have one person that's wise enough to be able to judge. Now notice what he says, look at verse 3. Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more the things pertaining to this life, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life. Now look what he says, set them to judge who are the least.
least esteem in the church. I speak to you saying, is it, uh, is it so that there are not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. Here's what he's saying. If you don't have a pastor, if you don't have a mature individual, if you don't have a Christian that knows enough Bible that can take two brethren and settle a dispute according to Scripture, he says you'd be better off by allowing the newest, the least, the, 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 the guy that just got saved, allow the least Christian, the newest Christian to judge between you and a brother instead of going to an unsaved judge and letting them judge. That's what he's saying. And by the way, he's saying even a, the least Christian could render better judgment than this world does. Verse 6. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you. He said, look, you're doing something wrong. What are you doing wrong? Because you go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? See, we don't like that type of preaching. Why do you not rather suffer yourself to be defrauded? Here's what he's saying. One Christian is in the church, and another Christian is in the church, and they decide to do a business deal. And let me just tell you up front, because at this time in our church right now, I don't know of any two people that are doing any business with each other right now. So if you're doing business, I'm not talking to you, because I don't even know you're doing it, okay? But I'll tell you right now, I'm not for Christians doing business within church. You say, why? I can't give you a verse for it, but I know this. Most people are not mature to deal with money and come off and have it be okay. But let's say, and if you've done it before and it's worked for you, praise the Lord for it. Praise God for it. But I've seen it split a lot of churches. And usually when two brethren start fighting about money, you know who loses? The church. Because they, usually they both end up quitting. They both end up going. But, but let, let me just give you an example. Let's say there's two people doing business at church. Two, two brethren. And they start fighting about money. And one says, I'm going to sue you for all you've got. Okay? That's wrong. They should not go and take their brother to law. What they should do is go to the pastor or go to a mature Christian and say, Hey, can you judge between us? And then allow the church to take care of that. Now look, most Christians are not mature to let the pastor tell you. Because what's the pastor going to say? You're going to come to the pastor, and you're going to say, Well, so-and-so agreed to do this for this much money, and, and now they're not giving that money. And then the other person is going to say, Well, they said they're going to do this and this and this, and, and, and they never did that, so that's why I don't want to pay them. And you know what the pastor should say? He should say this, Why not rather take wrong? Why not suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Why not esteem other better than yourself? Why not go ahead and just let them, if they're going to take advantage of you, just let them take advantage of you. Jesus already dealt with it. He said they want to take your, your, your coat, give it to them. They want to, they, 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 they want to uh, smack you across the face, turn the other cheek. He said let, us, let each esteem other better than himself. So see, so you, you got a couple in church, married couple. And they, they say, uh, I don't love him anymore. Why don't you love him? Because he doesn't provide like he should. I don't love her because she doesn't do what I think she should do. She's not a good wife. He's not a good husband. So you're, And here's what they want to do. They want to go to some divorce court and let some unsafe judge judge between them. Who, where should they go? They should go to the believers. We should be able to take the least Christian, the newest Christian, and say, okay, you two are saved, right? Yes, we're saved. Well, you're married, but you're believers, you're part of the church. Okay, you've got a problem here. How do you want to settle it? Well, we want a divorce. Why do you want to get a divorce? Well, he doesn't uh, do what he's supposed to do. He doesn't provide. She doesn't clean, and she doesn't do this. And, he doesn't, and then we should say to this, to them, why don't you just take wrong? Why don't you just suffer yourself to be defrauded? Why don't you just forgive? Why don't you just move on? 
And then, and then we are to say, don't get a divorce. And then they should. In a perfect world, in a spiritual world, they would say, oh, you're right. But that's not what Christians do today. You know what they do? They go to an unsafe judge and they say, we want a divorce. And they say, go ahead. And you're allowing the unjust to judge. Now look, the Bible teaches that we are to judge. Look at verse 8. Nay, you do wrong and defraud and that your brother. Now go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You're there in chapter 6, go to 5. Let me take it a step further. There are times when we must judge believers for sin within the church. There are times when we must judge believers for sin within the church. And by the way, let me just, and I'm going to prove it to you from the Bible here in a moment. There are times to deal with sin within the church that may result in kicking people out of church. Now, what I'm explaining to you right now, almost nobody teaches this. But it's in the Bible. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you, this is Paul speaking, not to keep company. What does it mean to keep company? That means to be around. To, to spend time with. Not to keep company. Now he's going to give us a list of people we should not keep company with. If any man that is called a brother... What does that mean? They're saved. They're called a brother. They're part of the family. If any man that is called a brother, look what it says, be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, no, not to eat. He says, don't even sit down and eat with a person that's called a brother and partakes of these sins. Now look, in America today, I don't know that many people that are really into that much idolatry, you know, today. But probably in church life, the two biggest things we deal with, fornication and drunkenness. The Bible says, look, if you're living in fornication, we are not to keep company with you. We are not to eat with you. Look at, look at verse 12. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? He says, aren't you judging? Paul's saying, aren't you judging? Because you understand, 1 Corinthians was written to deal with sin in the church. He said, a little leaven, leaven it the whole up. And he said, why aren't you people judging within the church? Well, maybe it's because all these liberal pastors say, don't judge anybody. Judge not that ye be not judged. Now look what he says, verse 13. But them that are without, God judges. He said, don't judge the people that are without the church. God will deal with them. Therefore, but he said, in the church, therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. And look, let me tell you something. At Barry Baptist Church, you know, as a pastor, I no longer, when a couple comes to church, I no longer assume that they're married. I just assume that they're living in fornication. Because most people today in our society are living in fornication because the average pastor does not stand up and preach the Bible. The average pastor does not stand up and preach against sin. The average pastor wants to read his little verse and a half and talk about how much God loves you and doesn't want to go to the Bible, doesn't want to study scripture. But the Bible says it is sin to live in fornication. Now let me explain something to you. When someone comes to our church for the first time, they're not even saved. Or maybe they're saved, but they're a new Christian. You can tell they've not taught, they haven't been taught the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says. Look, I don't, I, when some, you know, I find out someone's living for a game. I don't just say, get out! <laughs> You're not allowed to be here. I mean, we give people time to grow. Do you understand that? 
we have grace with people and we love people and we let them grow and we let them understand. And I don't, you know, I, I teach it and I explain it and I go through scripture, but let me tell you something. There comes a time when a person that is called a brother, that means they have a testimony of being a Christian, that means they have a testimony of being part of the family of God, and they just want to live in fornication, they want to flaunt it, they don't think there's anything wrong with it, they just think like, well, it's just it's 2014. Let me tell you something, there will come a time when we will kick them out of the church if they don't fix it. Look, you say, well, people are struggling with, with drunkenness. I want to help people that are struggling with drunkenness. If people are struggling with, with alcohol and they're under that bondage, we want to help them. We want to love them. But if someone comes into this church and they just think, I'm a drunk. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I'm going to keep doing it. We're going to eventually kick them out. Because the Bible says, look what it says. Verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are without. He's saying, why aren't you judging the people in your church? He says, you ought to do it. So see, God never teaches, don't judge anybody for any reason. Verse 13, but them that are without, not judge it. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Go to Matthew 18. Now, God gives us a process for how to do this. Matthew 18. Let me, since we went ahead and went on this tangent, let me explain to you how God says to do it. And I want to explain this to our church because there may come a time when we have to do this process. And we will do this process. We've gone to a place in, in, in America where the number one goal is for church growth. And it's like, let people come to church, no matter what they're doing, no matter what lifestyle they're in, just let them come to church, because we need to grow, we need to grow, we need to grow. Now look, we need to grow, there is no one in this church that wants to see Verity Baptist Church grow than me. But not at the expense of truth. Not at the expense of the Word of God. And you know, you, you say, well, you start kicking fornicate, people have for fornication, your church is never going to grow. Well, that's God's problem, because He's the one that wrote it. And he's the one to build the church. Matthew 18, look at verse 15. Matthew 18, verse 15. You say, well, what's the process? Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, so they've got a sin against thee, go, here's step number one, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Okay, you got a problem with a brother here in the church? You don't need to put that on Facebook. You don't need to put that on YouTube or Twitter or whatever you do. Look, you, if you got a problem with Pastor Jimenez, you, you have one person to go to. That's me. You understand that? you got a problem with someone, you go to that person. But you know what the average person does? They have a problem with someone, they go to everybody except that person. I mean, they let everybody know. So-and-so. Man, I, I hired them to do this, and you wouldn't believe it. They did this and that, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of suing them right now. <laughs> and they want, they want to tell everybody. But look, look what it says. And tell him his fault between thee and him. Here's the key word, alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And by the way, when we judge, and we're going to talk about it as we go further. When we judge, the purpose of judging is not to destroy, but restore. You're not judging someone to tell them how bad they are. It's to gain a brother. I mean, look at verse, by the 18, 15. Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him uh, his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee. So you go to him and you say, hey, listen, brother. You know what you're doing? That's a sin. That's wrong. You've sinned against us. You know, you say, Pastor Menace, what's the first step you're going to do? After I feel like we've given someone sufficient time to grow. 
I've preached about it. I've taught it. I've, maybe I even talked to them like, hey, you know, you guys should get married. You're living in fornication. And they're just like, ah, we don't think it's that big of a deal. Then the next step is I personally am going to go to those individuals and I'm going to say, hey, listen, you need to repent and forsake your sin or you need to leave because a little leaven leaven it the whole lump. And if they say, well, we don't think it's that big of a deal, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then, step two, take with thee one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So then you take, I'll find two or three uh, godly men, and say, hey brothers, uh, i got to go deal with this situation. Would you come with me? Because this is step number two in Matthew 18. And what's the purpose of taking people with you? That every word may be established. So they can't say, oh, you can't believe what he said to me. He's like, no, we've got witnesses. Everything that was said is, is, is known. Okay? What's step, what's step three? Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them. So you bring two or three brothers. You say, hey, listen, you're living in fornication. Hey, listen, you are a drunkard. And you're not trying to fix it. You're not trying to repent of it. You're just living in sin. And we need you to leave. And they say, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't want to deal with it. Blah, blah, blah. Verse 17. If he shall neglect to hear them. What's step number three? Tell it unto the church. So what are you to do? You're supposed to come before the church and say, hey, listen, folks. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so is no longer allowed to be part of this church because they are living in this open sin and they don't want to repent of it. They don't want to forsake it. They've been taught it. They've been explained to it. They've had someone go to them. They've had two or three go to them and they still want to live in it. So we are physically removing them out. If they show up, we will physically throw them out of the building and we're just letting the church know this is why we're doing it. That's what the Bible says to do. You think that's what the average church does? Now, you know what? We're never going to get to step three, probably, at Verity Baptist Church. Because the first time I go to someone and say, hey, you're living in fornication, you need to get that right. You know what they're going to say? Well, the church down the street lets me be a member and live in fornication. Because the church down the street is interested in money, is interested in people, is interested in growing. And look, I'm all for people and I'm all for growing, but not at the expense of truth. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church... But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. He says, treat him like they're unsafe. Treat him like they're not even part of the church. He said, you move them out. Now, why do you do it? Not to destroy them, but to restore them. Now, you got to understand this, okay? People don't understand this in church, but you, you, you need to understand this. Being a part, on Sunday morning we preached on the purposes of the local New Testament church. But you got to understand this, being a part of a church, just if you, you say, that doesn't make any sense to me, why would you kick somebody out of church? If you understood this, you would understand why, why the Bible teaches us to do it. Being a part of a church is not a right. It is a privilege. You get to be part of a local New Testament church. You don't have to, see, people get this attitude. Whenever somebody says to me, like, ah, I have to go to church again. That's like, why, don't, don't even come. You don't have to go to, you know, people say, people oh, I, I have to go so anywhere. I have to do this. You don't have to do anything. Just stay home. We don't need you. Because this, it's not a right of yours to be a part of a church. It is a privilege. And you got to understand this. With that privilege comes responsibility. With that privilege comes, see, if, if everybody just thought, hey, look, you get to be part of this church. And if you're going to be part of this church, you got to be living a certain way. you got to be doing certain things. You can't just be living in fornication. You can't just be living in drunkenness. You can't just be an idolater. We're going to kick you out because you get to be part of this church. Maybe then we would take church more seriously. Maybe then we would show up to church more consistently if we realized what privilege it was. 
But because today so many churches are just like, it doesn't matter, you're a drunk, you're a homosexual, you're living in fornication, just come on in, everyone's welcome. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says we are to judge. Now, I didn't say have a bad attitude. I didn't say rail on a brand new Christian that just got saved. I said let people time to grow, but let me tell you something. There comes a time where you've had enough time and you either get the sin out of your life or you get out. That's what the Bible teaches. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Say, Pastor Manus, why did you explain all that? I explained all that to say this. The Bible does not teach. Never judge anyone for any reason. Let them do whatever they want. It's okay. I mean, we just looked at like 15 verses that completely contradict that. So what does the Bible teach? Judge not that ye be not judged. Verse 2, Matthew 7. Here's why. For, the word for means because. With what? Now notice the word what. Judgment. Ye judge. Ye shall be judged. Now do you understand this? Jesus is not dealing with the fact that you are judging. He is dealing with what judgment? Or the type of judgment that you are giving. You understand that? For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet. He's not saying it's wrong for you to measure. The word measure means, or the word meet means to measure or to give out by measurement. He's not saying it's wrong to have a rule. It's wrong to have a standard. But what he is saying is this. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Say, what are you talking about? Let me, let me give you, maybe, I, I hesitate to use this example, but I think it's the best way to explain it. And, and I, I want to be very careful how I give this example. But there was, uh, maybe a few months ago, there was a situation in our church where this, this happened unbeknownst to me. I did not know about this. I did not find out about it until well after the events had already taken place. But there was a group in our church that was having a conversation about a certain doctrine, and they were maybe not seeing eye to eye on that. That's fine, no problem there. And that they were having this conversation before one of the church services. Uh, it was a Sunday night. I was preaching through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. I wasn't picking the text. I wasn't picking the topic. I was preaching the Bible because that's the text we were in. And I preached a sermon that sided with one group and didn't side with the other group, is what I was told. And you know, the, there was an individual in the group that I sided with that week, unbeknownst to anybody, I didn't know they had this conversation, and this individual took much glory and much joy in being proven right. And again, this happened without me knowing, I found out about this afterwards. Unbeknownst to me again, the very next week, I preached the next chapter, and preached with a subject, on a subject that now came down to this person's alley. And when last week I was on his side, this week I was coming down as hard on him as I was on the other group the week before that. Well, guess what? That was his last service. They didn't come back. You say, what's the problem? See, the, the, the problem is this. Some people say, the, people, that, people have this fear. I like hard preaching, as long as they're doing the hard preaching. See, the problem is not measuring. It's how you measure. As long as, you know, as hard as you come down on someone else, just be careful because they might come down as that hard on you. The problem is not judging, but how you're judging. The problem is not measuring, but what measurement you're taking. See, sometimes we take these extremes and we get so upset and we just come down so hard on these people. But you better be careful because they may come down that hard on you. 
See, the point is not that it's wrong to judge someone, but how are you judging them? See, when you judge someone with a heart that honestly loves them and cares for them, and you don't want to see their life destroyed, you want to see their life restored, and you come to them with a humble spirit, and you say, hey, listen, brother, I know you're living in this sin, and I know you know it's wrong, and I'm here to tell you, you need to knock it off, or we're going to have to ask you to leave. That's a different heart than, you get out of my church, you wicked person, I can't believe you're here, don't even come back ever. You understand that? And you better just keep in mind that one day you may be the one that's being judged. And the week that you're, yeah, pastor, you get them. Well, next week you may be getting it. Let's see how you like it. Let's see how you can handle it. It's, the problem is not with judging. The problem is with the type of judging. He says, don't judge. And here's the thing. He's saying, if you're not going to judge the right way, then don't judge at all. He says, judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. He said, and if you can't handle it, then just don't do it. Okay? I heard somebody say this. Somebody said this one. You know, I can judge a homosexual because I'm not a homosexual. Look, that doesn't make any sense. You, you can judge someone as long as you're not doing that sin. That just means we're all going to be pointing everybody else's sin. Well, you're a drunk and I've never been a drunk, so you're wrong. Look, that's not, the, that's not what this verse is saying. It's not saying I can judge someone as long as I'm not doing that sin. It's saying I can judge someone as long as I have the right attitude and I'm trying to help them and I love them. Now, he does deal with hypocritical judgment. Look at verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? A mote is a very small piece of dust, a piece of dirt, a speck. You ever get something in your eye and you're like, oh, I got something in my eye. I can't see it, but I feel it. Something real small. A beam is a long piece of timber, often used for construction. You know, I think of like a two-by-four. Here's the analogy. You, you got a guy with a two-by-four sticking out of his head. And he's going out, hey, brother, you, you've got this little scrape in your eye. Let me try to help you with that. I mean, that's the analogy. Jesus, Jesus obviously, you know, took things to an extreme. You know what I mean? Here, and now, here's what's interesting. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Okay, when you have a little, physically in your body, when you have a little speck in your eye, don't you feel it? Doesn't it bother you? You're like, oh, I got something in my eye. I mean, you think if somebody could have like a two by four just stuck into their eye and they wouldn't notice it? But you know what Jesus is saying? Spiritually, spiritually, listen to me now. Spiritually, you can have a beam in your eye and not even know it. And you're trying to get the speck, you're trying to get the moat, you're trying to get the dust out of your brother's eye. And by the way, let me just give you a, let me just help you out with something. You got a beam in your eye, you don't even know it. I mean, you, you get around Christians and you're like, brother, uh, can we pray for you? You okay? You doing alright? And it's like, yeah, I'm fine. Look, everybody else knows you're not fine. <laughs> everybody else knows you've got a problem. But you know, and who knows, who, everybody else knows it except us. It is possible to have a spiritual beam in your eye and not even know it. That's why you ought to, Search your heart. And by the way, if you're ever going to judge someone, the first thing you should do is search your heart and make sure your heart's right. Make sure you don't have sin that you're dealing with. Because God says, Jesus says, look verse 4, Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Here's the problem. Thou hypocrite. Now notice, let's go back to the, Ever judge anyone for any reason. Okay? Look what Jesus says. Thou, you say, Pastor, I've got a beam. What do I do? Look at verse 5. Thou hypocrite. Now look what he says. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, 
shall thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of brother's eye. So is, it, is, is the point is that you are never to help your brother cast the mote out of his eye? No. He just says, first take care of your beam, and then you can see clearly to help your brother. But what do the liberals say? Don't ever judge anyone for any reason. Judge not that ye be not judged. You know, people walk out of Verity Baptist Church. That pastor is so judgmental. <laughs> he just keeps judging everybody about their sin. Well, that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. That's what the Bible says. You know, we're supposed to do with the right spirit. And we're supposed to try to help people and not hurt people. But we are to do it and make sure that we are using the right judgment and make sure we are not using hypocritical judgment. What that means is this. You search your own heart and get the sin out of your life before you try to help somebody else. Now let me just give you a hint about judging. You are to judge within the authority structure that you are in. Do you understand that? So what are you talking about? That means you make sure your kids are doing right, you don't worry about other people's kids. Do you understand that? You, you make sure, you know, you husbands, you make sure your wife's doing what she's supposed to do. Don't worry about what somebody else's wife is doing. Somebody else's kids are doing. It's not your job. Look, the pastor, you're very bad to judge as one pastor and you're looking at him. It's not your job to deal with sin within the church. You say, well, I, there, there's, an, there, there's a problem within the church. Then you come to me and we'll deal with it. You understand that? You are to judge within the structure of your authority. And if someone has wronged you and there's a situation there, then you go to them and you stay with them alone and you deal with that. But you judge within your authority structure and anything that's out of your authority, you don't worry about it because you can't do anything about it anyway. Do you understand that? Jesus is teaching on prudence. Now look at verse 6. Matthew 7, 6. Don't waste your time with people who don't appreciate what you've got. Look at Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Here's what he's saying. If someone can't figure out the value of what you're offering them, then don't waste your time with them. And by the way, if someone can't figure out the value of Verity Baptist Church, I don't know if you know this, but this is a very unique church. Amen. There are not a lot of churches like Verity Baptist Church. And I'm not saying that to try to glorify myself or anything like that, but I'm telling you, there are not a lot of churches that preach the Word of God, that sing the old hymns, that go out soul winning, that knock on doors. But you know, when people can't see the value of this church... Amen. Well, I would love your church if you just brought in the rock music. I just think to myself, I'm not going to put my pearls before swine. Why? What's the problem with giving a swine pearls? They don't appreciate it. They don't see the value in it. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. We're trying to force these people to, you know, you should just come to my church, you just come to my church. Look, if they don't want to come to our church, let them go somewhere else. We don't need them. You say, well, that's a bad attitude. No, I'm just not trying to waste my time with pigs and dogs that don't understand the value of the pearls we have. And if someone would rather live in fornication, or live in drunkenness, or live in sin, and they don't see the value of this church, then they can go. That's right, Pastor. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. Let me give you a soul winning example. Go to Matthew chapter 10. You're there in Matthew 7. Just go a few, a few uh, chapters over. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 6. Matthew chapter 10, verse 6. Good night. We're, we're out of time. Matthew chapter 10. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 10, verse 14. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14. Matthew 10 14 says this, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. 
Titus 3.10, you don't have to turn there. Titus 3.10 says this, A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Look, you're not sowing, and look, I do it, I do it, okay? So, please understand that. You do it, I do it, it's fine. But when you're out soul winning, don't waste your time talking three hours to somebody. If they don't appreciate the pearls you're out, you got, move on. Shake the dust off your feet and move on to someone that's going to appreciate it. I said number one, Jesus teaches on prudence. Uh, let me try to get through the rest of this quickly and, and, and we'll be done. Number two, Jesus teaches on prayer. Jesus teaches on prayer. Let me try to give this to you as quickly as I can. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Look what he says. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Okay? He said he gives us three things to do. Ask, seek, knock. Here's something interesting. If you take the first letter of the word ask, and you take the first letter of the word seek, and you take the first letter of the word knock, it makes the word ask. And you know, the word pray means to ask. And Jesus teaches on prayer, but you know what's interesting? He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now here's what you got to say. When it comes to our prayer lives, most of us do this. We ask and then we stop. Right? God, please, give me a job. And then you sit there on your couch for hours every day. Look, you can ask for a job, but you may have to go seek a job. You may have to go knock on some doors and fill out some applications. Here's what Jesus is teaching. Put some feet to your prayers. You know, we're, we're praying, God, allow, you know, if, God, if it be God's will, that He would allow us to, to, to have a hundred people in church on Easter Sunday. But you know what? We're not just going to pray. God, give us a hundred people in church on Easter Sunday. We're going to go pass out 10,000 invitations. We're going to go seek those people and we're going to go knock on those doors. See, Jesus is seeing. He's saying, ask and go ahead and ask, but then seek and then knock and then do something about it. That is prayer, persistence in prayer. Verse 8, for everyone that asketh, receive it. And he that seeketh, find it. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Now he says, look, he says, I will answer. Now notice, he didn't say I'm going to give you what you want, but he said I'm going to give you something. You don't have to turn there, let me just read this first for you. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You pray to God, and the Holy Spirit takes that prayer, and He changes it because He says, they don't know what they're asking for. <laughs> he says, they don't know what to do. They're making her say, I'm going to take that prayer, and then I, and he delivers your prayer to God. But, it, but when it gets delivered to him, it's according to his will. So you say, God, I need a new wife. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah. Uh-huh. And then the prayer gets to him and says, God, help him to learn the patience and forgiveness he needs to stay with his wife. You say, God, I need a million dollars. And he says... Make him a soul winner. I don't know what he does, but he does something. You know what I mean? I mean, he changes your prayer according to his will. Okay? Now, understand this. God wants to answer your prayers. Look at verse 9. Matthew 7, 9. Or what man is there of you? If his son asks bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then... I like how Jesus just disses everybody right here. If then... If ye then being evil... <laughs> He's like, all of you are evil. All of you are worthless. He's like, you guys are bad. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. He says, if you, the sinful, lazy parent that you are, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them 
that ask him. Bible says you have not because you ask not. See, most of us don't even get to, to step number one. But when you're done asking, don't just stop there. Then go seek it. You may have to knock on some doors. You may have to put some feet to your prayers. We said number one, Jesus teaches on prayer, on prudence. Number two, Jesus teaches on prayer. Number three, I'll give this to you quickly, we're done. Jesus teaches on being polite. Jesus teaches on being polite. Matthew chapter 7, remember these were practical lessons for life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is what's known as the golden rule. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Jesus taught this. You know, we live in such a rude, crude society. People today think, they think it's honorable. They think it's a good quality. You know, people say, I just speak my mind. It's just the way I am. I'm just honest. I just speak my mind. No, you just can't control your tongue. That's your problem. You got to treat people the way you want to be treated. And if you wouldn't want somebody to talk to you like that, then don't talk to people like that. If you wouldn't want somebody to, to, to treat you that way, then don't treat people that way. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophet. It's simple. Treat people the way you want to be treated. So Jesus gives us some practical lessons for life. What were they? Number one, prudence. Number two, prayer and persistence. Number three, being polite. Treating people the way you want to be treated. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to be able to go verse by verse. Uh, through this passage, and uh, we were we were in Matthew chapter seven because last week we were in Matthew chapter six, and we weren't trying to deal with any issues, just preaching the word of God, going verse by verse, and seeing the things that you had for us and the things you'd like us to learn. And I'm glad that Jesus taught some practical life lessons. And really, the entire book of uh, the entire Sermon on the Mount is really Jesus just teaching some practical lessons, some things we should apply in our lives. Lord, help us to to judge righteously. Help us to have prudent judgment. Help us to judge in order to restore, not to destroy. Father, help us to be persistent in our prayers. Help us to put feet to our prayers. Not to just ask for something and then let it go, but then go seek and go knock and go find it. Father, I pray you'd help us to be polite people, loving people, esteeming others better than ourselves, treating people the way we'd like to be treated. We love you, Father. Thank you for teaching us these lessons. In your precious name I pray. Amen.